Let's study the scriptures. Would you uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5? Luke chapter 5, verse 17. I have a question that I want to ask you. And the question is, how do you know who your real friends are? How do you know who your real friends are in your life? I mean, some of you, some of you are on Facebook and you think that all your Facebook friends are real friends, right? No, they're, they're, they're probably not uh, unless you have like three on your Facebook friends. But then it, that's really sad, isn't it? But so many people, they like, they're like, look at all the likes I got on my picture. I really have a lot of friends. I think we have to ask this question to really understand who we can rely on, who we can count on. And, and I think there's another question, how we can grow as a, as a human, as a, as a Christian, uh, how we can grow to be a healthy person. You live in community to do that. But in addition to that, I think we also grow as Christians, as believers in Christ, we grow best in a group. And uh, so I think, you know, there, you, you ask yourself, how do you, how do you know who your real friends are? I mean, your real friend might be willing to take you to the airport, right? You, you ask, who do you ask to take you to the airport? You, take, you ask, ask a friend. You might ask a friend to watch your children if, even when they're sick, right? Like you'd be willing to let a really good friend to take care of your kids when they're sick, right? But, but the real test, the test of friendship, the real test of who your real friends are is moving, we all know it. Moving. When somebody asks you to move, you know, that, that, that email comes across, that mass email with all those names on it, and you're like, when you talk to the person later, like, oh man, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. I don't think I saw that. You're like, you're trying to avoid, trying to avoid moving, you know, but it is your friends. If you're moving and you need people to count on who will be there at 8 a.m. with some breakfast tacos and help you unload the truck, those are your real friends. Those are the people who are really committed to you. And I think, I think this is Im- important to talk about from time to time as a church. Uh, one of our mottos, one of the things that we say at One Chapel is we exist to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. We help people move. We help people go towards Jesus. And I think what that requires is a commitment. It requires an investment. It requires being willing to push back on the convenience of our culture and our own experience and really be willing to to lay our lives down for people who are in our lives. And and so we're going to read a story about that. In Luke chapter 5, verse 17. So let's read it here. Jesus is the subject, and then we're going to look at some friends who came to, to meet Jesus. Verse 17 says, One day as he was teaching, meaning Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law, all the religious leaders who had come from every village, check this out, every village of Galilee from Judea and Jerusalem. Every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. That's a lot of, that's a lot of religious people. They're all there to see Jesus. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. 
Verse 18 says, some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. I love this about Jesus. He knew what they were thinking. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. One translation says, we have never seen anything like this before. People were overwhelmed. They were in awe of what Jesus had done. I went to Disney World this last weekend. Uh, this last week, I was there on Thursday and Friday, and I, and I went there to speak at a conference. I was invited to speak to a conference of worship leaders and worship teams, and, and I decided to take my daughter, Grace, with me. She's 16, and we went to Disney World, and we spent all day Thursday at the Magic Kingdom. It was awesome. I was, it was one of the first times I've ever been to Disneyland or Disney World without little children. It was fabulous. And I just, it's something to look forward to in your life if you have little children. Because there's people there, I mean, they take their children there, and they're, I mean, stroller, strollers everywhere, and they're all, you know, pushing their kids around, and it's really fun in the morning, and then about 2.30, it's not fun anymore, and, and it's, you know, they call it the happiest place on earth. It's the happiest place on earth, Right? Disney, Disneyland, Disney World is the happiest place on earth, and you walk around, and you look at people, and here's what they're doing, standing in line. <laughs> Actually, more what they're doing is they're looking at their phone. This is the happiest place on earth, people. What's wrong with you? I'm standing in line. There's all these people around them. They're about to get on a ride that's going to be so much fun. There's characters, Disneyland characters, wandering the property. There's music playing. There's fountains bubbling. It is fantastic. And people are standing in line going like this. I tried to mess with some people. That's kind of what I do. My, my daughter Grace hated it. She, she, she was, I, would, I would like be in line. And you know, they, they do in these style, styles, turn styles, yeah. And, and so you go back and forth. And so I would like smile at people. And you could sort of see, it was like, it's like, weirdo. Like, yeah, I'm at the happiest place on earth and I'm smiling. I'm the weirdo. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. I'm like, what's wrong with you people? This is great. This is fantastic. Oh, you're with your kids. That's your problem. (laughs) 
you know, about 2.30 nap time, and they can't, they can't go home, right? They got to stay because it's, they paid too much money. So they're like, you're having fun no matter what. You stop your crying right now. It's like, what is that? Don't take your kids to Disneyland when they're little, little and small. Wait, wait a little while. Here's why I tell that story. I think sometimes that Christians end up being like those people standing in line. We got the best message. We have the, the most amazing stories. We have the work of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the words and wisdom of God in the Scripture. And we stand around like this. I mean, don't, don't, conf- don't, don't get confused. I'm, I'm not talking about you know, not being compassionate for people who go through a difficult time. I know that we all go through difficult seasons, but it's like we don't act like we have the solutions. In fact, sometimes we become part of a community or a church and we're still just standing in line, trying to wait for the ride. Instead of engaging instead of realizing where we really are, instead of letting that fill our hearts and the message of life fill our lives and then spill out into others, right? We're just just there taking up space. I think God wants us to understand who we are and that we belong to each other and that there is an engagement when in, the, in the community of Christ that is so important. And that's what we see in these friends of this paralyzed man. They were st- standing around one day and they heard that Jesus was coming. And if we, if we think about the story and, I, and you listen to me retell it, I want you to reimagine it. These friends are standing around. They know Jesus is coming. He's likely coming home. Most Bible scholars think this was sort of Jesus' home base, and, and, and so he's coming home, and, and Capernaum is where he was. We know that from Mark chapter 2 that has the same story in it, and so he was Capernaum. You know what Capernaum means? Capernaum, if you study out the origin of the word, it means comfort. It was a village, so it meant village of comfort, village of comfort. I think the challenge for you and me is we live in a village of comfort where comfort is everything to us, where convenience is the thing that drives our culture. And so we hesitate to make ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of others, and we hesitate to go out of our way to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. That's just the culture we live in. And if we don't push against it, it will consume us. Many would say it has consumed us. So these guys, though, they didn't, they didn't let the inconvenience factor stop them. They were standing around, and they were friends with this guy. Let's call him Matt. They're friends with Matt. And Matt's laying on a mat. He's been paralyzed for a long time. And, 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 we're, and, and, and he's, he's struggling, and... And these guys knew that Jesus was coming to town. And one of them ended up at some point saying, man, this guy's life was so hard. They're thinking to themselves, they're they're thinking to themselves, he needs 
Jesus. He needs to be healed. He needs to be able to get up off of this mat. Thank you, Donald. He needs, he needs help. So we're going to help him. And they, they, they go to him and they say, hey, Jesus is coming. We're going to take you to where he is. Come on. They get on all four corners and they, they lift him up and they start down the road. And they get to this house where Jesus is teaching and they realize that it's full of people. And it's full of all these people. And strangely enough, it's full of all these religious people. All these guys in black flowing robes and, and they're, they're all like pressed in. Like they're filling up the house. They're taking up space. There's needy people trying to get to Jesus and they're taking up all the room. They're in it for themselves. They're there to critique Jesus. They're there to listen carefully. Needy people are trying to get to Jesus and they're blocking the way. That's what the scripture says. So they might have come up and they're trying to shove their way through the crowd and they run into an old man who's bent over. Kind of looks at him angrily. I'm trying to get to Jesus too. They may have tried to skirt around him and ran into a woman who had a baby in her arms and little kids around her knees. and She was almost at the verge of tears saying, I, I'm trying to get to, to him. Might have run into a, a bigger man <laughs> that threatened them with bodily harm if they kept poking him with that mat. Tried to walk around to the window, try to get in. They can't fit him through the window. So finally one of them says, I got it. I, I got it. We can go up the stairs here on the side of the building. We can get on this roof and then come over to where Jesus is on the roof and we can peel off those tiles and we can let him down right on top of Jesus. This is going to be awesome. And they're like, yes, let's do it. So they take him, and they take him up, and they take him right, and you can imagine Jesus, he's teaching, he's, he's like there, and suddenly something falls down from the ceiling. <laughs> right, it's like, it's coming down in front of him, he's trying to teach, and he's, he may have ignored it first, or, or, or he may have known exactly what was happening, we don't really know, but, but he looked up suddenly, and everybody else looks up, and they're, they're seeing this, these guys, and they're, taking the tiles off, and now they're, they're starting to drop this guy. And there was no mood music, people. It wasn't, there wasn't a, no movie score. It was just awkward, like, what is happening here? Very often, trying to help your friend creates awkwardness. Very often. They, they finally drop him down right in front of Jesus, and Jesus is there, and he's like, verse 20. It says, Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith did Jesus see? The paralyzed man? He saw the faith of his friends. Very often people get healed because of the faith of their friends, the willingness of their friends to carry them to Jesus. So Jesus says, all right, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus goes right to the root of the problem because he knows that we all sin. In fact, there was, a, there was a, a, an idea in that day 
that if you were paralyzed or if you had something wrong with you, that somebody would sinned, you sinned or your parents had sinned. In fact, another story in the Gospels, they bring a blind man to Jesus. All the religious people bring a blind man to Jesus and say, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said that nobody, nobody, nobody sinned, or he kind of says it this way. Listen, everybody sins. It's not about sin. It's about bringing glory to God. That's, that's what this blindness is going to result in, and then he heals him. It could be that Matt had done some really bad things. We don't know. It could be that Matt had done such bad things that actually led to him being paralyzed. Risk-taking, foolishness. We don't know. doesn't say. But these friends weren't going to let that stand in their way. Sometimes we're, un- sometimes we're uncomfortable with the sins of others. You know, often we become really good judges of other people's sins, but really great lawyers for our own sin. These guys, they just didn't matter. Brought this, they brought Matt, and they, they, no matter what his history was, and they dropped him down in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And, and Jesus did it on purpose. He was trying to needle the religious guys. <laughs> He's, he knows what they're thinking, and that's what the Scripture says. He sees them thinking these things. They're taking up all the space. He, they're right there, front and center, so he's going to hit them. So he says, your sins are forgiven. They're all freaked out. And then, he, and then he says, I know what you're thinking in your heart. Why are you thinking? Which is easier to say? Uh, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. But so that you'll know that I am who I say I am and who God says I am, who the Father says I am, I'm going to say, your sins are forgiven and Take up your mat and walk. Go. And the guy gets up. Can you, I mean, the, the crowd, can you imagine what was going on with the crowd? They're all watching this, and Jesus has had this encounter with the religious people, and this guy's just laying there as they're arguing over theology. But then Jesus gets to the point, get up and walk. Get up, and the guy gets up and walks, and everybody just goes nuts. This is incredible. Can you imagine what was happening to the guys who had let him down through the ceiling? They're high-fiving each other on the roof. They're like, yes, this is awesome. Sometimes there's nothing greater, nothing more fulfilling than seeing God do something in somebody else that you're praying for and carrying. That's That's what this story is about. It's about going past our own conveniences pushing past our, our own comfort level and being willing to invest in somebody else. So, some points just before we finish. Number one, we all need friends. We all need friends. We all need people who will treat us like this. We all need people who will stand up for us, stick up for us, fight for us when we can't fight for ourselves. We all need friends like this. This guy was broken, but he had some guys who were interested in him. Oh, to have friends that will cover us when we're broken. Oh, to have friends that will carry us when we're weak. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We need people who will not stay comfortable, will risk being uncomfortable to invest in their friends. Number two, we all need help. We all need help to get to Jesus. 
We all need help to get to Jesus. We all have failures and failings and foolishness that crops up in our heart from time to time. We all need help get to Jesus. People want to come to Jesus by themselves very often. They just want to deal with Him only, and they don't want to deal with anything else. As I've said many times, everybody loves God. Nobody likes His family. You ever heard anybody say it? I'm very spiritual. I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. That's code for I don't want to belong to anybody. I don't want anybody messing with my life. They want, to be, they want their own individual experience with God, and that's it. They've taken our own culture of comfort and convenience and applied it to their own spirituality. We all need help getting to Jesus. These guys said, we're going to be with you. We're not going to let you. We're not going to forget about you. We're going to take you to Jesus. They didn't give him five steps to a new life. They didn't give him three principles for to be a better person, <laughs> even though there's nothing wrong with that from time to time. As a pastor, I think that's true. These guys knew what, what Matt needed. Number three, we all get stuck. We all get stuck from time to time. And here's what I want to say about that. It is easier to get unstuck if you have friends to help you. It is easier to find friends before the crisis hits than it is to try to find friends in the middle of a crisis. When you try to find friends in the middle of a crisis, it's very hard on those people and it's very hard on you. Nobody has time to make friends until they actually need them. Our lives are so busy, we're going 100 miles an hour, we're chasing our career dreams, we're dealing with our kids or whatever, and, and, and we don't have time to make the deep investment. Sure, we got friends to hang out with on the weekend, we got drinking buddies, we got, but, but we're talking about something more than that now. We all get stuck. Make no mistake, you're going to need to invest in friendships before the crisis comes. Invest in the friendships before, take the time before you actually need it. It's so sad to watch a person who's been isolated, who's kind of been on their own journey without people, and then a crisis moment comes, and they, they feel like they have nowhere to turn. Crisis is coming for all of us. Make no mistake. I mean, just we live in a broken world. We're going to go through seasons where we have a moment where we get stuck and we're going to need people to help us. Now, there's an alternative storyline here. The Bible is not clear that these guys were great friends. It doesn't really give us the backstory of how these guys knew each other. It could be that these guys were on their way to see Jesus and didn't know this guy at all and that they stopped because they saw him and just said, we're going to pick you up and take you to Jesus. It could be that they were just driven by their own compassion and their own kindness. In one chapel, this is the kind of community we have to be. We have to be the ones who are willing to care for the people who are in crisis, even if they haven't made the investment. 
We have to be the kind of church that's going to be willing to care for people when they're in that moment where they're totally stuck, where they're in crisis, and they need someone to help them. That's what we're called to be. That's who we're called to be as a church and as a community. Finally, number four, we all find strength and purpose in a group. We all find strength and purpose. You think about this guy. He, the paralyzed man found a new strength and a new purpose because of that group. Those guys high-fiving on the, on the roof, they found a new sense of purpose in their lives by watching that healing occur. No matter, no matter if they knew him or not or what reason they had to help him, the idea is they could not have lowered him alone. An individual could not have done what they did. It demanded a group. It demanded a group of people. We're stronger in groups. We accomplish more in groups when we connect together. The miracle was the result of the group determination to help this friend. Each of them felt extraordinarily connected after that. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I promise you there were deep and lasting friendships because of that miracle right there. And I want to say this to you. This is kind of one of the last things I want you to hear from me. We will never really be fulfilled, truly fulfilled, until we are part of a group that's making a difference. Now, some people, they want to make a difference, and so they work really hard to make a difference. And they're making a difference, and they're going to make a difference no matter who else is going to do it. And they go it alone, and they try to make sure that people are served and cared for, and their compassion drives them, and they're going to do it. And when they do it alone, what happens? They burn out. They burn out, or they get mad at their, other, at their friends, who, their supposed friends, because they're not helping them. So they run, into a, they run into a roadblock somewhere along the way trying to make a difference by themselves. There's other people and they just want to be part of a group and they love being part of a group and this group is so good for me and I just love this group and I just want this group to stay right here. I don't want anybody else to mess up this group. I don't want anybody else to come in and be a part of this group because this group is really good for me right now. They're not willing to make a difference in another person's life. The group's really all about them and their comfort, and their convenience. What Jesus calls us to is being part of a group that makes a difference. It has power. It has authority. There are miracles there. And I think this story reveals that. So instead of being fixated on our own wants and needs and pursuits, we, need a called, we are called to be on a mission with Jesus himself to help people get to him. Finally, here's what I believe. We have to help each other move closer to Jesus. It only happens together. Here's, here's what we have to do. We have to have availability. That means I'm ready. Okay, I've got to reprioritize my life. I've got to make time in my schedule. I have to get ready to allow people to be part of my life and to be part of other people's lives. You may have to reprioritize all the stuff you're doing. 
to make sure you're doing the most important things. Number two, accessibility. That means I'm actually open. I'm not just going to go to the group and sit. I'm actually going to be open to what's happening. I'm going to let people connect with me. I'm going to be interested in others. I'm open. Number three, accountability. I'm willing to let other people speak into my life and to hear it as a voice from the Lord and to be willing to respond to their correction and their input and their investment. I'm willing. I'm willing to be surrendered. Now, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head, and I want you to just think about where your life is at. Like, what would the Holy Spirit say to you in these moments right here? What is he saying about your life and, and, and where it's been? And what kind, of, what kind of interaction do you have with people who are true friends? Are you living isolated, individualized, experiencing your religion on your own? Or, or, or could you hear the voice of God calling you and drawing you? Drawing you to, to reach out and be willing to be part of a group. Some of you are sitting here in the auditorium and, and your life is in crisis. You're facing some of the, hard, the, the, worst, the worst season of your life, the crisis of your life, the struggle of your life. And I want you to know that Jesus can touch you and heal you right here. And that we will be a community for you. And that we choose to be. And so I want to pray for every one of us and let God speak to us. And then I want us to to go from this place and I want us to make really fundamental decisions about who we're going to be, what kind of friends we're going to be, what we're called to. And and we're going to join in a community of real, meaningful friends. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you know every story, you know every person, you know their, their baggage, you know their history, you know the woundedness that they are dealing with, that somehow they've carried it forward. You know the people in the room that are stuck, and we all get stuck. And you're, you're here right now, and you want to... You want to touch them right where they are. You want to forgive their sin and you want to heal them. And so, Lord, I pray that you do that right now. Lord, some of us are in crisis and we just need your touch and we need your healing. We need your grace and we need the love of friends around us. So would you draw them? Would you draw them to us? Help us. Lord, so many of us, we need to reprioritize our lives and we need to, we need to make a decision to invest, to, to push outside of our village of comfort and to be willing to be part of the body of Christ where we lay our lives down and we make an investment in others. We thank you for speaking to us now. And we respond to you and we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, to everything you want. Yes, Lord, to your forgiveness being poured out in us. Yes, Lord, to a new start. Yes, Lord, to new friends. Yes, Lord, to being willing to invest in others. Lord, we thank you for this, and we receive everything that you have for us. In your name, 
Amen.